number of weeks, we've been talking about uh, apprenticeship to Jesus, that we would be uh, like Jesus, that we would become like Jesus, that we would actually do the things that Jesus did. And we talked about this fancy word called the Talmudine, the best of the best, the elite, those who would apprentice themselves under, G- under a rabbi, that the rabbi would teach them and say, come, learn from me. Live with me. Let me impart wisdom to you. Let me explain the Torah, the the scriptures to you in such a way as that someday you too may uh, become a rabbi like me. And Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. And we pick up the story, don't we, early on in the Gospels when Jesus um, came across some fishermen. And he invites them, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And for years, we've, we've kind of thought of that as like a phrase of like, um, well, that's just a wee bit cheesy, isn't it? And we kind of understand it, don't we? Fisher, fishermen fish for fish, but fishermen fishing for people? Oh, yeah, that, that was that. But actually, bless you, it was more than just that. It was actually an, an idiom. It was a first century kind of term of phrase uh, which was used, a figure of speech, which was used to describe a good teacher, a fisher of men was someone who used language and learning well to draw people in, to hook them in. Come, listen. Come, listen to me. And I will make you a fisher of men. I will make you a teacher like I. And part and parcel of what Jesus' mandate as he walked the earth was to proclaim and teach the kingdom of heaven is near, to to demonstrate what the kingdom looked like through signs and wonders, But he was doing this not just on his own, but he was doing it through his disciples. He had 12 apprentices, and that's what we've really been honing in the last number of weeks. And this week, what I want us to really look at is doing the things that Jesus did. Not just being with him, not just becoming like him, but actually doing what Jesus does. You see, if we are just going to sit there, you are going to get bored. Because you've got to be equipped to do the things that Jesus did. Many of you know this story. If you've been around the Vineyard Church for any amount of time, you will know this story. But here it is again. John Wimber, founding father of the Vineyard Church, became a Christian. He was a musician with the Righteous Brothers. Got a radical conversion. And he read the scriptures. He devoured the scriptures. And the church that he was attending to... He basically went, went to the leaders of the church and was like, when do we get to do the stuff? And the phrase is still being used today. And the leaders of the church said, what do you mean? They said, when do we get to do the Jesus stuff? The stuff that it says in the book. The stuff that the disciples did in the book. When we read the Acts of the Apostles and we read the letters. You see that Jesus stuff that Jesus did and modeled and he taught the disciples. When do we get to do that? And the leaders are just a bit like bemused as they're saying, oh, bless you, John, new Christian, all very excited and all the rest. You'll calm down soon enough. You see, that just happened then. All those stories you read about, that was just for then. It's not for now. And John could not accept that because he read the scriptures and he read where it says, you will do even greater things than I. He read the scriptures where it says, all authority has been given to me and now I'm giving it to you to go and make disciples, to go and make apprentices, to go and give away what God has given you. And that's for us today. 
And that was, began this whole journey for John as he began to look at the scriptures and understand actually the things that the early disciples did, which we get to read about, we get to do. We get to do that stuff. And so that's what I want us to look at uh, this morning. Um, Jesus went on many ministry trips and uh, he took his 12 with him. And uh, we're, we're picking up the story. We're in Matthew 9, 35, if you've got a Bible or your phone or whatever it is. Are the words going to come up? Yep, great. Jesus went through all the towns and villages. Just think about that for a minute. Just think of Northern Ireland. Israel is a pretty small country too. Think of all the towns and villages we know of just in Northern Ireland. Lots of them. Lots beginning with Bali. That was funny, Kathy. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> You're encouraging me. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, traveling from place to place. And he went to their synagogues, which were their places of worship. And there he taught proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So he's there and he used his words, used his phrases, he taught, taught many parables which we get to read about. He used words to demonstrate the good news of the kingdom. But not only did he teach and speak and use words, but he demonstrated what the kingdom looked like through healing every disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And that's where we leave it. Jesus goes to these places. He's using his words. He's demonstrating the kingdom through signs and wonders and through healing. And he looks and he sees the crowds. He's like, oh my goodness, there's so many. They're harassed and helpless. I can't do this on my own, is what Jesus is saying here. Because Jesus is one person. And he's saying, ask the Lord for workers. Because the harvest is massive. And folks, let's look around us. Let's look in our towns, in our communities, in our villages, in our workplaces. The harvest is plentiful. There are many people who are harassed and helpless. Many people needing to just hear the good news of Jesus. They don't need to hear it rammed down their throat. They're going to the doctors again because they're sick. They're going to here because they need help there. They're going here, they're going there. And then sometimes they're going to the bottle. And then sometimes they're going to other inappropriate places to fill the need that's deep inside of them. And Jesus is inviting us, the people of God, to partner with him, to apprentice under him, to go and be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And he's saying in this passage, ask the Lord of the harvest, for workers and he's basically referring to his own disciples they were his workers and we too are his workers because he is inviting us to partner with him to go out into the harvest field to be his hands and to be his feet where are we in my notes my apologies Folks, if we don't get to do the stuff, this following Jesus thing gets boring. 
because we just sit there uh, or we just, we're just there. But when we actually get to see him move, it gets really, really um, exciting. Many Christians, by the way, do just do that. They don't actually get to step out the boat. They don't actually get to do what Jesus is inviting them. And it's a bit like, I was thinking this, how do we compare this? What does it look like? It's a bit like someone who watches football. You see, you can watch football and be really interested in football and get a great deal of satisfaction and enjoyment from that. But actually, there's nothing like playing the game. You know, think about a child who's growing up. They're not just interested in their team or whatever it is or watching the game. They want to go and kick a ball around. Is that right? They want to play. They want to play and do the stuff. And I think we can liken the same thing to our own young people. Unless our own young people, children and young people in our church growing up, unless they're taught and they're trained to do the Jesus stuff, they're going to walk away. They're going to get bored. They're going to get fed up hearing us talking at them the whole time. Let me play with the toys. Let me have a go at praying for the sick. Let me, involve me. We love it in our church that many of our young people are serving on team. Right now, today, this morning, there's at least half a dozen of our teenagers will be in different capacities working, apprenticing themselves to other people, working alongside someone else, giving it away. We love that. I am super excited about this evening. Meeting down in our venue and watching and engaging with what our young people have got lined up for us. If I'm really honest, I'm a little bit terrified. <laughs> Rang Emma on Thursday. So Emma, how's it going? How's, uh, how's Sunday coming along? Well, yes, it's going okay. And uh, I'm looking at you now and she's smiling. Maybe she's getting nervous too. It's going to be amazing. And I don't think for one second it's going to be, oh, didn't they do well? Aren't they great? I genuinely think they will lead us into the presence of Jesus. They're going to lead our worship. They're going to lead our prayers. And we're going to engage with what they have for us. And I'm super excited. And I am expectant that the Lord will presence himself amongst us. It is important that we not just allow, but that we empower our children and young people to do the Jesus stuff. As followers of Jesus, we get to play. We get to do it. And social theorists comment that there are four stages of apprenticeship or four stages of kind of development. And it looks like this or sounds like this. I do, you watch. Second stage. I do you help me. You do, I help you. You do, I watch. And Jesus used this approach with his disciples. You read the Gospels, read what actually happened. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus goes and he cleanses, uh, raises uh, Jairus' daughter, but he brings in with him Peter, I think James and John as well. He involves them. He exposes them. He allows them to see. Goes to the Mount of Transfiguration. The most incredible um, spectacle, I'm sure. He takes Peter, James, and John. He involves them. He invites them into the story. Hungry, hungry people. Thousands of them. Jesus has been teaching. 
And they come to Jesus and they don't really want to tell him, but they're like, these guys, they're really hungry. You need to send them home. You need to send them into the villages to get food. What does Jesus say? You give them something to eat. For he had in mind what he was about to do. And he breaks bread. And he gives it and he places it into the hands of the disciples, all 12 of them. And they have rows and rows of, of all these people, 5,000 people. And the, through the hands of the disciple, the miracle is taking place. Jesus' first miracle turns water into wine. He's at the wedding in Canaan of Galilee. And he takes these water jars and he gives them to the guys who are serving. And through their hands as they pour what they thought was this water becomes this wine. It actually happened through the hands of those who are serving. Jesus raises the dead. He calls Lazarus out of the grave. How does he involve the disciples? You take the grave clothes off. There are many people in our community where God is inviting us to go and to take the grave clothes off other people. And that can mean a whole manner of different things. Eventually, it's time for the disciples to go for it themselves without Jesus. But whilst Jesus is still there, that they go, that they go do the stuff. And he watches from a distance and they report back to him afterwards. It's when he sends them out. And this is our second passage. We're in Matthew 10. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and illness. These are the names of the 12, and you can read them for yourselves. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal those who are ill, raise the dead, Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Freely they had received. They'd received from him. And they'd seen him do it time and time again. And this was their moment. This was the thing where they get to play, where they get to actually go and do it. The very beginning of the passage, Jesus says this. He gave them authority to drive out impure spirits. If you are a follower of Jesus and you know Jesus, he has given you authority in his name to do that very thing. Let's just think about it. Question. Who heals the sick? Call it out. God? Who thinks God... Who, here we go. Everyone gets the play. There's no hands standing on that side, the last side. Everyone gets a vote. This is like getting us ready for the vote coming up. That's a different thing. <laughs> Got to put your ex beside someone. That's as political as we're going to get today. Who heals the sick? God or us? That, that, well, 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 that's the question. Hands up if you think it's God does the healing. Hands down. Hands up if you think it's us who heals. Ooh. Hands down. Hands up if you didn't put your hands up. <laughs> You're excommunicated from the church, and away we go. <laughs> Stewards, take them away. Okay, who serves the tea and coffee? 
God or us? Okay. You know where this is going already, don't you? Yeah. Who leads worship, God or us? Male. Who, uh, who works at the food bank and distributes food to people? God or us? Who's preaching God or us? God or me? Who heals the sick? Us. In Jesus' name. And through his power, because he's given us authority. Now, some of your heads are like spinning right now. And you're like, oh my, really? Is that really it? It's the Holy Spirit that he has given us, his authority in us and through us that gets to do these things. Now, some of you, you need to go away and read the scriptures and get your head around that. And if you want to talk about it afterwards, Chantel will be readily available. <laughs> she would love to answer all your questions. Freely we've received, freely go. God gave the disciples authority to go do the Jesus stuff. And they went and did it. When Jesus went and he ascended to, to heaven, what we read about in Acts is they healed the sick. They cast out demons in Jesus' name. Let's just do the Jesus' name bits to kind of soften us and help us kind of get round. Freely we receive, freely give. We have to give away that which God has entrusted to us. Have I got time for a story? We have. Um, as a young fella... At school, I was a mixed bag. I'll just be honest with you, you probably understand that or agree with that. PE was the thing that I loved. It was the thing I was good at. It was the thing that actually helped bring me alive. And, um, and through it, through my education, that's what I really loved. And I really, really looked up to my PE teacher. I just thought he was a legend. Mr. Brown, he, I apprenticed myself as a student to him as a teacher. He just had such a significant impact in my life. My first five years, I, I did a sports degree, then my first five years of work was for a church because I was so passionate about young people and seeing young people engage with God and get to know Jesus. And then when we moved over here, someone had a word about using sport and amongst young people, and it really resonated with me, and I really thought, Flip, that's, that's my next season of life. That's what God has for me, and that's how I transitioned to then becoming a teacher, and I, I taught PE here, and many of you will know that. But a point came that I had to train to be a teacher. I had to move from being a student to a teacher, and I had to apprentice myself and Talmud, become a Talmudine to a teacher, and that uh, that wasn't enough to just simply go to college down at the university, down at Jordanstown there. It was enough to kind of hear and, you know, all the things about teaching and sit in lectures and be like, oh, boring, boring. When do we get to do the stuff? And doing the stuff is teaching practice. Any of you who are a teacher, you will know. I can see Caroline shaking her head. There's still, oh, my goodness. So I did my teaching practice here at Carrot College. And it was between kind of uh, October, November, December, 2001. That's a few years ago now, right? And I came into this school bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and thinking, I'm, I'm the man. <clears throat> I learned quickly. <laughs> because you learn quickly on the job. Very briefly, quick story. It, the penny really began to drop for me. This is about three or four weeks in when I'm teaching 10C. 10C were notorious within the school. They were the worst class in the school. 
the, the, and I'm teaching boys basketball. It's week four. I've had them for three weeks. They're an absolute nightmare. I can still name you names in that class all those years ago. That would be totally inappropriate and unprofessional of me because they probably still live in Carrick, Fergus, and I might get a knock on the door. So I remember thinking, oh, it's week four. It's 10C basketball. We're doing this. And I had this whole lesson plan written. And then as it is often in teaching, two minutes before you're about to deliver the lesson, you realize you've got no hall because it's full of tables and chairs for exams. You're like, oh, right, what am I going to do now? And you have to think really quickly on the spot. So I've got one lesson. I'm a one-trick pony. I'm not ready to kind of think, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. So we still do a basketball lesson on the tennis courts outside. How on earth does that happen? I've made the fatal error of giving 15 basketballs individually to each child as they left the changing rooms. By the time they'd got the 30 meters to the tennis courts, you can imagine that we didn't still have 15 basketballs with 10C. There were at least five in the hedge. There were at least three being booted at each other and used as hand grenades to one another, and I'm beginning to think, oh my goodness, this lesson's not going well. I'm with both teachers, Harry McConkie, if you're into Irish League football, he is the uh, Ballina Mallard uh, manager, but that's another thing. He and Mark Kidd, who's senior teacher still and a good friend, they were both there on hand for my support and well-being. <laughs> I had 15 boys. By the end of the class, I had about eight left because constantly I'm sending them, oh, go over there, go over there, because it's the only way I had crowd control. And Harry, God love him, he had like an official kind of form that you're meant to then assess me on. And he just tore up the script and he had just some notes and he was writing all these notes on it. And I remember this. He wrote on the top of the page, he said, remember the date, and I've forgotten the date, but I remember what the phrase that he used, the phrase at the top of my feedback of my appalling lesson was, the Indians are coming. <laughs> that was it. Remember the date, and he'd written what it was, the Indians are coming. And this whole script of how terrible the lesson was and how badly it was, but he knew how difficult these boys were and he knew how challenging it was and he watched and he supported and he watched from a distance and he wrote down everything and afterwards it, it was like that moment it was like the it was like the David Beckham moment when he kicks your man and he got sent off it was the moment when suddenly the light switched on and I had to adapt and change significantly and that's often the way it works with apprenticeship to Jesus sometimes we're so fearful that we don't want to actually do anything but when we do go for it, he always comes through. And often we learn the hard way. And often we learn through our mistakes. I love it. I love watching so many people in our church grow in their authority and grow in what God's entrusted to them. And with all the people that do anything in our church, we say this. You are going to fail. You're going to mess it up. And that's okay. That's okay. In fact, we want you to. We were hearing from a, a teacher of another church recently and uh, they would do an awards evening at the end to appreciate all those that give up their time, similar to what we do when we have our annual appreciation event. And he said that the one award that they want to win 
that they want, they want to be celebrated for is the greatest fail. And they've had some absolute corkers over the years. He was telling us some of them. He's like, oh my goodness, that really happened. Guys, we need to fail. We need to fail. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K, but faith is also spelled try. And if we're not trying, then we're not doing anything. We're not doing any of this Jesus stuff. We've got to be trying. We've got to be pushing out the boat. I need to speed up because I want to do something. John Mark Comer, who's a brilliant teacher uh, from the States, he says there are 10 things uh, that Jesus did and that we would do well to copy. Preach the gospel, teach the way, heal the sick, cast out demons, eat and drink with people far from God, do justice, bring peace, pray, prophesy, and stand up against religious and political corruption. So how are we doing in those 10 things? How are we doing in those 10 areas? Where could we uh, grow a little bit? Where could we have a little practice? Where could we uh, get a chance to play? One of the things that we love doing here at the church is training and equipping people to pray for one another. And you'll have seen it because we do it every single Sunday. We invite people to come forwards to the front here and we lay hands and we invite the Holy Spirit to come and to fill them, maybe to heal them, maybe to empower them, maybe to impart some spiritual gift, uh, whatever it might be. There's a whole different number of things when we encounter the Holy Spirit. But one of the ways that we want to do that is for every single person who's part of our church that you would feel permission to do it and you'd feel a degree of competency about that, a degree of it. And the bar is low. And I'm going to demonstrate in a minute how low the bar is. But if you're part of our church, and what does that mean? That means you come on Sundays. It means you go to life group. That means that you're, you're part of the scene and you're, you're giving financially to the church. That means being part of the church. We are inviting you to all be on the prayer team. It shouldn't be just for the chosen few. that, And they're not chosen, by the way. The ones that you think know what they're doing or they've reached some sort of spiritual grade up here. It's for anyone, regardless of age, regardless of how long we've been a follower of Jesus. You're all part of the prayer team. And I want to demonstrate right at the front here, this is how we do it. Because I think there's this fear thing. I think there's this whole thing of like, oh my goodness, I couldn't do that. So I'm going to demonstrate. I need a volunteer. Go for it, Betty. Well done. Not primed at all, but well done. This is Betty. And why don't you face me, Betty, and that will make it easy. And um, so I know Betty, but if I didn't know Betty, and she'd come forward to the front, and I'm on the prayer team, uh, and I just simply say, hey, I'm Paul, how are you doing? I'm Betty, great, okay. What is it that you've come forward for prayer for? I just want to know what way God's leading me. That's a great thing. want to know where God's leading me. Looking for guidance. Fantastic. Okay, Betty, that's fantastic. Do you mind if I put my hand on your shoulder? That's great. And I'm going to encourage you just to close your eyes. That's great. And so I just put my hand on her shoulder, her eyes are closed, and I just simply say, come Holy Spirit. And I wait. And already I just begin to see God doing what God does. I begin to see 
uh, countenance and her face just begins to change. You see her eyelids are slightly flickering. And they're signs. That's signs of the Holy Spirit. 